Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please note, this podcast is not suitable for children. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. So when I started the Justice podcast back in September of 2018, one of the first podcasts I did, I think it was the third or fourth, was with Baroness Helena Kennedy QC who had written a couple of books about the experiences of women in the criminal justice system and actually how unfair it can be and how there seems to be quite a large lack of understanding about women, the experiences that they have, how traumatising the court process can be, particularly after women have suffered sexual violence, some horrific um, examples that she gives throughout her books. So today I will be talking to a great friend of mine about an experience that she had and I think it's interesting to link the two podcasts together in the sense that you have the sort of legal background from the lawyer but today actually we'll be talking to someone about their direct experience of the court system after sexual violence. So welcome. Can you tell us what happened? So when I was 21, um, I guess I got myself into a situation where I was raped by someone I do not know. Um, it was one of those things when you're, you know, I don't know, when you're young, you just have fun and, you know, go to these after parties and things. And unfortunately, I woke up to being, yeah, raped. You woke up with it happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got totally, you know, What's the word? Um, Bladded. Yeah. <laughs> Obliterated as well as I can fall. Um, and so as this day, I was, you know, look back and I'm like, how the hell did I get myself into that situation? Like, you know, I still go out and drink now, but you, you know, your limits. And for some reason that night, I just didn't. And, you know, got carried away. And then, yeah, um, this person saw an opportunity, I guess, to abuse that situation. And how many years that, ago was that? That is now seven years. Um, when I say seven years, I'm like, Jesus, like, as if it's been that long. Does it still seem quite recent? In in some ways, yeah, because I still have, you know, nightmares and I still have bits where I can't talk about it. But also, when I think seven years, I've changed and I've, I know I've grown so much in that seven years that I'm at a point where I can talk about it. So it's, yeah, it's crazy just that it's that long ago. Um, and also, when I think I was 21, I thought I was you know, quite a together adult. And now, now I'm like, gosh, I still feel like I'm young at 20, 28. And right, it's like, gosh, no, you changed so much in those years. But yeah. And so you obviously don't remember what led up to it, but you were at a house party. 
Yeah, it was kind of, it was put to us as like an after party type situation. Um, and it wasn't. And it's probably for me one of the most frustrating parts is because you don't remember. And it's then like, you know, touched on what happens when you're caught and they just obliterate you. Like then and like, well, you know, you were this drunk and you're this and that. Yeah, yeah so, so and tell me about that. How soon after the event were you in court? And, and can you tell me about your court experience? So it was a year. Um, the first trial. I remember when I first went to the, the police station, it was the following day, and it was one of those things I was like, I had to put my adult head on at that point and be like, right, this is the right thing to do. But also, you know, you do hear all the stuff, even now, that so many girls don't go because you're never going to go to court, there's never enough evidence, there's never enough this, that. So I went on the premise that I knew it was the right thing to do, but I never thought it would actually get that far um, because I thought I was just another statistic that I was drunk and girl and got raped. But then it was probably, when was it? So the court case was in July, and I remember it was just before Christmas. They were like, we've got enough evidence and it's going to court. And I think he'd already been to the magistrates and pleaded not guilty, and they were like, no, it's going to Crown Court. And I just sat there and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, this has got even more real now because in that period, you still try and move on with your life and pretend like nothing's happened. Um, he also was someone that was originally from America and he's been detained here in the UK. So. My mum had planned this thing for my birthday and it was probably the first time I'd seen her in a little while actually and I was like so nervous to do anything because I was like he's still here, he's still out there and because I still couldn't really put a face to him I was just always on edge and it was just them. So it was worse that you don't remember his face? Yeah, like I couldn't, I can't even, even the hand, you just can't picture it. It's so, because it's all a big blur mm -hmm. and then even when you try and think back you, you just remember that, like for me I just remember that initial bit. And it's like, that's the thing that I'm then like focused on, I guess, that mm. I forget everything else. So it got to court. Yes. And on the day, can you describe what happened that day and you sort of heading in and how you were prepared, supported or not? So I'd say it was a mix with my support because I guess I didn't know what I was meant to expect or I didn't know how the system worked. So I felt like I was definitely getting support. Um, I had a really... From, from the... CPS and they their witness Crown care team. prosecution service. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I had a lady called Kate and she was so lovely. Um, and she was just like a real, she was one of those people and it was like, you knew she was high up in a job and she was very good at a job, but she also just made me feel like she was there to be a friend. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, because also my mum my wasn't with me for the first one. So she was like a really good person for me and my sister to lean on. Um, and you know, when they read back on what the process is, she did all things like we had to go and see the court before it happened and where I'd stand and how it would work. But obviously you're not really allowed to know many of the stuff that comes up in the in the case. So after the rape, how long was it? You said you went to the police station the next day. How long did it take for the police to catch up with him and actually arrest him? If I remember correctly, I think it was about a week or two. I don't know exact um, dates. He actually got arrested uh, trying to leave the country. So. And how did they know who he was? Because if you can't remember what he looked like... Was from it... my sister and stuff. Right. And then they'd obviously just managed to piece enough information together. There were certain things on the night that... Because... And I do not remember this part. Um, again, it kills me. But he was in the club that we were in. Um, and... Um, And um, they had like a table in like nightclubs when you know you get drinks and stuff. And um, they'd bought the table. So then often what happens when you're in the club um, is they'd be like, oh, they'd look for like, you know, 
young pretty girls and it'd be like come to the table and you get free drinks and stuff and apparently they're on their table and I don't even remember that um they asked you to try and obviously look back at what drinks you'd had throughout the night and I said I remember at one point having a glass of champagne they're like did you know it was him that gave it to you and I was like no <laughs> like generally don't even no just don't even remember it and that, that's the stuff that really upsets me because I'm just like less that you were so stupid and maybe more the fact that do you think this bit is I mean it's all really upsetting but do you think it's because it that makes it seem like it was really premeditated well that is and they the knew what they, they were going to do yeah and yeah it's like an organized yeah thing it's a shame in the sense because that's also very much the London club culture so it's like I'd done it quite a few times before where you're on a promoter's table but I didn't actually realize that this was on the promoter this was a guest a customer that had book this table um so I guess from that they must have had his details and my sister remembers pretty much most of the night so she was able to give a lot more information and um I guess she was actually probably the main part of keeping the you know the case together um with the amount that she was able to give so yeah so that I, that, that, I guess that's how they they, they know so after after it was all sort of said and done and you'd been to the police and he was arrested, it took a year to get to court. So how did you cope during that time? What was life like? Not good. <laughs> um, I was just trying to carry on, just, you know, do normal me. And because um, of my work, I was going to castings and I was just trying to be busy, basically. Um, and then it was probably, if I remember, it was after Christmas um the nightmare started and then I used to wet the bed um which is not terrible um because she just was lead up to me I woke up to it so I used to be like afraid to go to sleep um and then I started like getting real anxiety about that um and then obviously waking up and realize you wet the bed when you're 22 it's not really fun <laughs> um so then my, because everyone, they would say like, oh, there's lots of help, you can go to this and that. But in my mind, I was like, no, it's fine. I'll just keep on along and deal with it how I need to deal with it. And then when that happened, my, it was actually my sister was like, you're getting help. She was like, you're not going through this and not talking to someone. Um, so I then went to rape crisis and I had a lady called Sue, who was like my, she was my Isva in the court case, but she and was And Isva is in independent support. support assistant okay so they're there they're there to support you as the victim basically yeah yeah so she was then like I'll get you then a counsellor who you can have sessions with um and she was then called Sharon and she was really lovely and the counsellors there are all people who've also been through it um and then they've obviously been trained up and that was definitely a really good um thing to do is to go once a week and it was just one of those things they, they don't speak you just talk about everything you need to talk about. Did you feel that was a real relief? Because often, you know, I'm told that when people tell their story, it's like literally a physical weight lift. Yes. Do you find that? Yeah, definitely. Um, because some of the things, you know, I'd, I would talk to, a, especially my sister or, you know, some my boyfriend at the time about it, but they don't quite get it. Whereas when you're talking to someone who has been through it, they get it. So it's like, oh, actually, they're totally, as much as they might not say anything, they're totally resonating. And I remember one particular conversation that was probably, I'd been there for a little while, um, but I was going through a real period of like feeling lost. I was totally lost who I was. Um, just everything. I was like, I don't remember 
if I was funny or affectionate, I just forgot how to be me. And I remember I, I was sat there and I started crying and telling her and she started crying. And she was just like, that happened to me too. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, so you know my frustration. And that she was then good. She gave me little bits of advice and things to try to help me realise and just, you know, write down things that I'm passionate about or things that I love and then just do things around that. So that was really nice. And I suppose it's so useful to see someone who'd gone through the same thing, but they're a functioning sort of happy adult who's coping. Yes, right? I'm very much a person that I'm like, out of every bad situation, there's got to be something good. And I'm like, I can't have gone through all of this for nothing. Because I always thought I was quite a strong individual person. And then it's like, wow, you then handed that. So it's like, yeah, but okay, you what are. Can I do? It's just this horrific thing happened to you. Yeah. Um, and there are many people who, you know, they'll go through these things and they then do just carry on. Whereas I'm a bit more like, okay, I need to do something with this. Um, so the other thing that for me was also really helpful was writing. Um, I used to write diaries um, and I used to write on it like my space, my place and sometimes if I was really angry I'd just get a pen and like scratch through the paper like a little ripped or if I just cried it would like smudge it and then I'd like um, and that was also something I was recommended to do so that was um, really helpful for me. Have you kept those diaries? Yeah, I've never looked back though. Mm. I don't know if I could because sometimes I do get afraid if I get into the real deep emotional side of it it will, might bring it back, back too much. Which I don't know if whether it's that would hard. be positive or a negative thing. Yeah, it was only recently actually, um, two weekends ago, my sister and I had a conversation on night out. And we obviously talked through things, but not in details that maybe like there's stuff like she remembers and I don't. And for some reason we were out, and I think it was because I was doing the podcast, and she was we were on the train journey. She was like, I can tell you're really excited, and you know, it's finding what you want to do. And I was like, I've wanted to do it for so long. Um, and then when we went out, I think she started to bring up some stuff. And the next night I had a nightmare. It was the first time I had a nightmare in ages. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, that's weird. Um, so sometimes I guess it's different information makes you react differently. Exactly. Can you tell me what the court experience was like? And first thing, was it positive or negative? And then maybe go from there. Because I was trying to put a positive hat on, I would say, for me, like, I try to look at it positively, I'm like, right, I've got to court, I've got this person, you know, on the stand for what he's done, um, which... So far, so good. Yeah, to I get see... To that point. Exactly, because so few people do, especially in my scenario, that it is always a is against hers. So I'm just like, gosh, like, we've actually got that far. Um, in court, it's probably the worst thing I've ever experienced because like you're there to like defend your, not defend yourself, but to like tell your story and you know, be like, right, this has happened. And lay then, your vulnerabilities out again yeah. in front of a whole load of strangers. Yeah, um, and when you can't give answers, you just know they're looking at you like, well, well, what have you got then? Like, and that's really hard. And the first court case was a hung jury. Um, and I remember when they got that result, I was like, so that means that's 50-50 splits, they can't decide. Yeah, and they even, they said that they do the ratios where like they'd go down, like, because it's 12, it was like 9-3, and then they're like, well, how about 8-4, and there still wasn't any unanimous on either, so it was purely... So that was the split. first court case was yeah. hung, and then how long do you have to wait um, before it, you went back the second time to court? It was four months after oh, that. Oh, God. Yeah, and the stuff then that they got for the second court case they'd gone from my Facebook and they'd taken up photos of me the night out and they just painted this picture of me being an absolute 
wild slut, basically. And I was like, that is so not me. So it's just like they paint this picture of you being the bad person. And I'm like, what? Sort I'm of not the bad person. In a short skirt, holding a drink. So therefore, yeah. you deserve to be raped. Yeah. And they're like, you you put this on yourself because you always go out and you get yourself into these situations. And, and it's, a, it's a really interesting thing, that one, because, you know, we hear this a lot, especially, you know, in the world that I work in, which is predominantly with sort of women and sexual violence. And um, like, like somehow if you have a drink, like somehow if you drink too much or if you wear a certain type of item of clothing, that that gives men the right to rape you. That is basically what they're saying. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> say the very like, least. It's not even strange. It's just madness. Like... And that's the thing is like how the people then defending them. Even then, it's like a lot of cases, girls are fully clothed and walking down the street and they're still raped. It's like, guys, come on, like sort it out because that person, no matter what they've done that's led up to that situation, they are the person that's the bad one. And it just infuriates me so much. And I had a boyfriend at the time and they painted this picture that because we were together, that's why I'd lied because you know, to protect oh my, my relationship that so I they attacked, cheated. They attacked your stable relationship yeah. with a person that you loved as well. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. So so the second time you went back to court, was that when they read the verdict? No, so I actually then found out, I think it was then the following week. So right, I've been so you, to court that week. Yeah. And then I remember I was at work and I worked on a Tuesday and I found out then. So how did you find out? I just got a phone call from Kate. And Kate was, reminds me. Uh, she was the lady who was like my support. From the Crown Prosecution yes. Service. So she gave you a call on your mobile phone at work mm-hmm. and you work with children. Yeah. And she said... She did say to me, she was like, can you talk now? She's like, I have the verdict. And I was a bit like, oh God, like I won't be able to get through the day either way now. So I was like, you might as well tell me. I then couldn't sit and not. But also there was no plan to tell me when it was. Because if I'd known, the, I would have known on Tuesday, I probably wouldn't have yeah. to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was then... Um, and she said... She just said he got not guilty. I just didn't know what to do. I sat there and I was like, did she just say that? And then I was a bit like, so what did you do now? I was like, can we go back? I was like, can we do it? <laughs> I was then was like, no, like that's not the right answer. So I was like, what, what happens now? And that's it. Once it's not guilty, that's it. It's just then case closed and you're like... No more case. So if you could change things, and of course then everyone goes, well, there's no money, there's this, and everything's impossible and nothing can be changed. It sounds to me like there's quite a lot that could be changed mm. that doesn't need a huge amount of money. So what what are the big things for you? If you take your course experience and sort of from walking through the door, I mean, you know, I've heard awful um, examples of women's underwear being held up in court. I mean, yeah. can you imagine what that does to a person? So what do you think are the big things that could make a difference? even if they're small little things? Oh gosh, do you know what? It's so It's so hard to pick one thing. Mm. Um, and then even like saying it being small things, it's hard to know exactly what, because I don't know the whole process itself. But one of the things I always thought was, you know, I knew who my, um, the person speaking for me would be, but I don't remember her name. I met her just before about to go in court. So it's like, there's no, it's so disconnected for the person that's actually trying to help prove your case. And it's like, she doesn't know me. And she then has to find out about me through what these other people are saying. And then she can then obviously find out her thing. So I don't know. I, so would it be the know. continuity of one person from the point of you turning up at the police station, maybe? Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to remember. So after I gave my 
initial statement in the um, police station, they took me straight to a swalk centre. So that's when, sorry to be graphic, but they take the sort of, I don't know, semen samples or any yeah. DNA you might have on your body from yes. it. Um, <sighs> yeah, and that yeah, must just, be quite horrific. Yeah, I remember just laying there and I was just like, uh, I was so numb to everything at that point. Because I was still like, is this really happened? Like, even I was still trying to just come to terms with the fact that this is real and that this is all going on. It wasn't until the next day I then fully broke down. So I definitely remember, I'm pretty sure it was Kate at that point, because I remember the next day she phoned me and was like, said I had to then go to another place to give my video statement in another room. So I used that in, in court as well. So I'd spent the whole morning and I was just sobbing the whole after I then got home. And, um, and she then did this interview with me and I sat there and because I didn't cry, they then used that in court. Cause they're like, oh, you know, sure she'd be emotional. And I'm like, I've just been like the last 24 hours crying, going through all this stuff. And I was just exhausted at that point. And it's amazing what they can use against you in court. And that's the stuff that really upsets me because I'm like, that's me, I'm the most vulnerable and talking about my experience and you're actually using it against me. And you go through the trauma of being raped. Yeah. And often the system carries on re-traumatising. We need a criminal justice system. We need a justice system in this country, but it's about how we make it humane and effective. And yeah. clearly, this is really, really horrific. Yeah. And I understand that, yes, a lot of men end up in court and women might say that they've done something and actually they haven't at all. I understand the need for someone to be defended um, yeah. and everyone's right to a sort of fair trial. Yeah. But... My God, it's not beyond the wit of man to be able to make it slightly less traumatising. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's just maybe uh, that's why I just don't know how that whole side of it works. But like, even just for my, you know, the prosecutor or for the judge to then just be like, that can't go up, surely. Like, because what good is that going to do for the person that's being the victim? So when you got the phone call and they said he's innocent in the eyes of the law, where did that leave you as a person? just totally angry. <laughs> mm. And I'm not an angry person at all. I was so frustrated because it was then, like I said, I felt like I needed to go back again. Mm. And I was just like, something has to be done different. Something has to, there's got to be a loop somewhere that's been missed that we can show that, you know, that that he's guilty and get the verdict that we want. But that's the hardest part because it's entirely out of your control. And it's like, you now have to just accept that and move on. And that's so hard to accept mm. when, like I say, it happened. and that's my biggest frustration now about it. If someone came to you and they said, I've been raped, mm -hmm. what should I do? I would say go to the police. Because, you know, then you could be that person that then gets the right verdict. And it's like, I try and think of what my life would be like if he did get guilty and I'm like, oh, probably I'd feel so much more relief because at least he's getting what he deserves. You know, I got told he would have got three to four years. And I'm just like, oh, there's people that get less than that for murder. Do you know why he actually got off? Because you were talking about going down and having the sort of samples taken from you to prove that sort of something had happened, the rape had happened, um, maybe his semen on your body. Was that not there or was it a case of, oh, it was consensual? They painted the picture that it was consensual because, right. and it was because I couldn't remember the lead up to that point. And that's then what they obviously use against you. But right, and he probably said, well, yes, we had sex. Yeah, that I considered it. Apparently, he, apparently we sat in bed and had a conversation before, and I was like, are you kidding? I was like, no, mm. we did not. And, but that's the thing, it's his word against mine. 
but then it's that that's that's where my sister was probably the main thing in it all because she knows exactly what happened mm-hmm. and there's also other parts where she mentioned things that happened and it's not that I can visualize that that happened but you know that feeling when you're like yeah I really remember being sick and I was so sick to the point they put me in the shower they put me in a bathtub took my clothes off and showered me down so I'd been right. so sick and I'd wet myself and then they I then I remember at one point I said to the um I can't remember exactly who it was someone on my team I was like but is there not urine on my knickers because I actually wet myself I was that out of it I yeah. had no control over my body so, so he definitely would have known no, that you were in that state so it wasn't yeah. like you were just a bit tipsy I was totally unconscious yeah and that's the thing that's what and also because then I was unconscious or like because they take my clothes off so I was so sick they just they put me on the bed and left me like naked basically um and one of the things that I guess in the whole process that like has been damaging for my sister and I is I remember one time saying to her, I was like, why didn't you get me out of there? She's like, I didn't know it was going to happen. And it's probably the worst thing I've ever said. And I've lived with that guilt ever since. And it's probably one of the things I've talked about most in my diary because it's not her fault. And it's like, like all these things, when it is a sort of strange situation that you're not expecting, you don't go out at night going, how can I protect myself from being raped? I mean, the sad yeah. truth is that actually now more and more women do have to be mindful of those mm. things. But when you're just out having a good time and you're 21, you're not like, oh gosh, someone is definitely going to try and rape me tonight, so yeah. therefore I'm going to act in this manner and yeah. make sure that all my friends around me are protecting me from being raped. That's not how it should be when you're just going out for a night with your friends. And one of the things as well, like my team said, was that from CCTV and stuff, they could tell they were on the prowl. And I'm just like... Ugh. That wasn't taken into consideration in court? It was. It was. It was, and that, that was, again, one of the reasons why we were able to get it to court. because there was right. a, And that's what I get so frustrated. I'm like, there's enough evidence to prove that... You know, either that that was their intention was either to, whether it was to sleep with someone, but he knew that wasn't going to happen, so he did what he did, or it was then that was just their intention in general. So putting myself in the position of the jury, and the jury are always made up of a sort of cross section of society, and it's sort of you know how you know how do we sort of change this on a sort of bigger scale? Because I suppose from their point of view, they kind of go, "Yep, this is awful. Yep, yep, yep." But if she can't remember anything, how do we throw the book at this guy? It is possible that it was consensual sex. And I suppose this is what's so hard in that room at that time. Yeah. How do we sort of move on to a sort of a better place with it all? I watched an interview with a lady on TV and she said it's actually about having more specialist lawyers because obviously the lawyer that I had would have been someone that would deal with all things as a prosecutor rather than just rape. And I feel like when it's such a sensitive thing, like there's there should be more of a connection. And if that person is someone that just specialises in that, they'll know it more and they'll know more about what needs to be involved and what maybe shouldn't be involved. Fundamentally, it is down to the person who makes that decision to go and have sexual intercourse with someone who's been vomiting, who's wet themselves, who's lying naked on a bed and clearly incoherent and unconscious. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. Yeah. So the buck stops there. Yeah. It's not like, how could you have avoided that from happening? Well, one of the things that I um, started to look at was obviously two more in schools. They have now recently started putting it to the PHSE lessons. Right. So it is, but that's only happened in the last few years. And also like one of the things I think is people should know a little bit more actually about the process. Because one of the things that I shared on um, actually my social media and some will praise me for it afterwards about the swalk centres, because you can go to one of these and you can give your evidence, but you don't have to go to the police. 
And I just think that's a really important thing because so many girls, like if it happens, they are traumatized and they don't want to go. And they're like, oh gosh, like, I don't want to go to police and X, Y, Z, because yeah. that's scary in itself, like rocking up to a police station. Yeah, well, the majority of um, police are men and it's yeah. quite scary. They're in uniforms and it's yeah. not exactly a warm, fluffy, comfortable place to be. And also I think a lot of girls are ashamed at the time. It's like, you do, like, you do, you feel stupid. You feel like, oh my gosh, like this has just happened and I don't really want to speak about it right now. I need to kind of get get your head around a bit, come to terms with it. And then it's that side of things. So like when I I put the post out, um, I did it on my, my story, I've seen they disappear um, after a short amount of time, but I'd opened it with- On Instagram. Yeah, yeah. and I'd opened it with, you know, one of the things as, as to why girls don't go to the police and so on and so forth. But obviously as soon as you've had that shower, you've lost all your evidence. So it's then, a lot of girls know if they then went to the police after that, it's like, well, you're not going to be able to do it anyway. So the idea of like of doing the post was to share that these centres are available. So if you ever found yourself or a friend, go to the centre, you can give your evidence and then decide later if you want to go to the police okay. when you feel a bit more ready. Yeah. But interesting enough, a girl had sent me a message before she'd even got to the part about the centre and she was like, well, maybe because they're afraid, they don't want to come to terms with it they know that um, they were too drunk. And I was then like, oh, it's like this girl, sound. and I know her personally, and she's on antidepressants, she has anxiety, she doesn't drink. And when she was then saying all this stuff, I was then like, wow, actually, maybe you're in the same position as I was. And that's why you're saying all this stuff, because you've been in that situation and you were too afraid to go. Mm. And then at that point, she's now just trying to live with it. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Where are you now today? You're 28, it's seven years on. You're obviously brave enough to have agreed <laughs> for me to sit with you and talk about it. So so how, how are things different and how do you want to take this forward? Because obviously this is a sort of defining thing that's happened to you in your life and yeah. it can either eat you up or you can use it, as as you were saying earlier, as to, for, for the greater good. Yeah. So what are your sort of, where are you at now and what are your plans? 
if, if anything, it's more just about conversation and just being able to talk about it and not be so, not ashamed, but afraid of it. Because I do always think, gosh, as soon as I say that this has happened to me, people are going to be like, oh God, like, well, you know, you're a model, you do this, you do that. And it's instantly that stigma around it. But I always have this like burning desire to talk about it because it's like, if I can just help one person talk, I know that I've made the right decision and I've helped someone else. And because I've gone through that process, I can help other people going through that process and being like, right, this, you know, this is what to expect and this is what will happen. And I remember after I went through the court process, I said, I, I remember I got given a huge book and I was like, you really think I'm not going to sit and read this book? A huge <laughs> like, book on what? About the court process oh, and what you go through. It's literally like this big. And I was like, that's really lasting. I feel like sitting and reading right now. I remember I spoke to a lady it was when I came to your trauma training day and she was working with the university about the same sort of thing and she asked me to help contribute to a leaflet. Just, I was like, something just needs to be a bit, it needs to be nicer, it needs to be a bit more easy to read, friendly and just not so daunting. Like just highlight the key stuff rather than go into so much detail. And then I actually spoke to the um, Stuart Rape Crisis about doing one with her and they agreed to it. So I started doing it and then it was too soon. I, it then brought back too much for me that I couldn't finish it. So that's still something that's definitely on my agenda. But I feel like for me, I needed to get it out there first because I needed to still like come to terms with it and talk about it before I know I can help people. But that was one of the things. Everything was then um, to do talks in school that I don't know exactly still how that would work because obviously it's it's such a, it is a hard subject, isn't it? So it's then like, oh, can you just let someone rock up in school and start talking about rape and court process but it's almost like you know the guys need to know as well well that this is what will happen to them exactly again instead it. of sitting the girls down and going yeah. watch out you don't get raped yeah it's kind of the conversations with the boys isn't it exactly and also i suppose that really dangerous area of and i you can see where the boundaries get so blurred because mm. actually if someone is lying in bed a girl is lying in bed next to a guy yeah. And one thing leads to another. And it might be fine to begin with. But then suddenly she's like, no, this yeah. isn't fine. This isn't fine. I want you to stop. I want you to stop. Yeah. But then he doesn't. Yeah. Then that's rape. Yeah. But then how on earth are you expected to articulate that in court? Yeah. And for a jury to kind of go, yeah, I can send this person to prison. I mean, it's it's really really difficult one yeah and that's why i think it's more about it's the educating side of it yeah. before it gets to that point i had a um again it was from the lady that saw the interview on tv she said that guys are pretty sure it was something like five times they're more likely to go on and do it again if they're not taken to court so for me part of my dealing process was like i could be that one girl that has now stopped five other girls getting raped mm. because he knows i'm not just going to lay there and take it like you've got to deal with your you know consequences and again it was uh, luckily my you know my sister is very good at trying to keep me positive about it and she was like you know he's from america he was studying in america he wasn't allowed to go home so that was a year and a half of his life at least he had to stay in the uk so he's lost his friends he's lost x y and z so it's just i had to take the positives out of it that way as well you're very lucky to have had such a an amazing sister mm, as yeah. well and to go through it with me i'm sure she really did go through it in yeah. every sense I've got some interesting statistics from the rape crisis um, website that I was looking at. And it's interesting because, you know, people often say to me, you know, boys and men get raped too. And I'm like, yes, 
Yes, thank you. I, I do know that. But um, just interesting when you're looking at the statistics to put yeah. it into perspective, 93% of people who get raped are, guess what, women. Of course, that sort of then leaves um, the statistic of 7% of boys and men, and I'm sure it's much greater than that. But mm. if it's difficult for women to come forward and say it, imagine the shame and yeah. the sort of guilt and the uh, just the difficulty of a man coming forward or a boy coming forward to... Yeah to say that they've been raped and their website got 12 million hits in the year which was an increase of one third from 2016-17 so that's a third increase of people in the last year going to the actual right. website which is quite fascinating i mm. think and then the last one um, which i think is a really interesting stat the number of unique visitors per month to the rape crisis website has risen by 43% from last year. I wonder if that's all to do with me too though. And actually the movements of social media and how people are now being a bit like the whole time's up. Well, exactly. And this is where it's difficult, isn't it? When everyone kind of then might sort of say, or the older generation might say, oh my God, everyone's being raped and all men are rapists and mm. sort of, you know, and it's like, no, I think this area was always cloaked in silence. Yes. Massively. And I think now it's not. So I don't necessarily think it's the fact that there are more rapists around and yeah. it's going on more. I think, you know, there's a voice now. Yes, totally agree. And that's where it's like, for me, it's like, if I know if I can share my story and help one more person, it's just that person might have always stayed silent. And before, there wasn't really an outlet for people to share their stories in the way that there is now. And I know, like, a lot of people, like, I know for a fact that. I can go onto Facebook, I can go onto Instagram, I can go onto the BBC News. There are always rape stories everywhere. And in the beginning, I could not watch the news. I could not open a news app, pick up a paper because I couldn't deal with it. Whereas now, I'm just like, this shows how much it does happen. Yeah. And people are opening up and are coming forward with their stories. And that's what we need. Having known you for a while now, I know how difficult um, it has been. And you've sort of geared yourself up to do this podcast and... Um, you know, you did amazingly well, and I know it was really tough, but it's so nice for me, having known you for quite a few years now, to see you sort of getting, I don't mean this in a condescending <laughs> way at all, because it's beginning to sound like it, but, you know, just sort of watching you sort of grow in strength from it, and the fact that you are so positive, and like so many people I know, that sort of survival instinct of like, you can either sink or you can swim, Yeah. and you choose to swim, Yeah. and that's really awesome. Thank you. Hopefully I can... Um you know, help other people and, you know, if it helps them come forward with their stories, just to even talk to someone they know, then that's my goal, I think. Now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Justice. If you found it interesting, you can discover more about the work we do within the justice system by visiting our website, onesmallthing.org.uk. One Small Thing is a charitable organisation striving for positive change in the justice system. If you would like to subscribe to Justice, you can do so via your usual podcast platform. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.